We are in Sefer Malachim Beis, Perek of Hey, Pasuk Aleph, Vayihi Bishnas Hachiyas. And so we begin literally the final chapter in Malachim. And despite the fact that the events are inevitable, as we have seen, um, they are nonetheless very tragic. It is a very tragic chapter in our history. And if you want to study a very um, interesting and fascinating source that supplements this, it's Sefer Yirmiyahu. Yirmiyahu, you will recall, was the Navi contemporaneous with this era. He predicted it. And what you're struck by in Yirmiyahu is just the total inevitability of it all. In other words, Yirmiyahu is aware as a prophet that the Kaddish Baruch Hu has made the decision. It's irrevocable. Nothing can alter it. It is very well deserved, according to Yirmiyahu, and so convinced in its inevitability that the Mepharshim tell us he almost loses his life because of this conviction, that basically they had summoned him, Sikiyahu, to get his input, what he thought, what the strategy should be. <coughs> Excuse me. And Yirmiyahu says, no, this is an accomplished fact. There's nothing you can do. Do not fight it. Do not resist it. Surrender. And so what they did was take him the people of Jerusalem and throw him into a muddy pit where they left him there to die and only the intervention of Tzikiyahu rescues him from that pit. So as we're going to see, it's inevitable. Again, nothing can be altered. So we start with Pasuk Aleph by Yehi B'Shnas HaTshiyish L'Molcho B'Chodesh Ha'asiri B'Asar L'Chodesh Bon Nevuchadnezar Melech Bovel Hu, the Holchelo, a Yerushalayim, by Yichan Oleha, by Yivnu Oleha, Dayek Savim. That in the ninth year of the reign, that ninth year refers to Tzikiyahu's reign. Uh, remember, Tzikiyahu had rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, who had assumed he was a puppet vassal king ruling on Nebuchadnezzar's behalf, and he rebels. And the response, as we see, is immediate. And he comes in in the ninth month, on the tenth of the month, which we know now is Asara Beteves. And he comes there, Bon Nebuchadnezzar, Belach, Bavel, his whole army, Ayyushalayim, he besieges it. He builds these wooden towers. They, it's in the singular, but there were several towers that give him a visual uh, vantage point over the walls of Yerushalayim. So we see that this commemorates Asara Bateves. It is the beginning of the process of destruction. But if you think about it, Right now, it's a totally insignificant day within the context. It's Asara Bateves. It began as a matter of historical fact. It's going to be 30 months later when the actual fall of Yerushalayim and the destruction of the temple. Well, how, almost, can be, how can you say it's insignificant? 
at the time. Oh, it's very. How can, how can you say yeah. it's insignificant at the time? Now the people of Yehuda and the people of Israel, I assume, can't go back and forth to Yerushalayim. Right. So it's not the. And, and, and how did the people of Yerushalayim get supplies and, and, right. and meeting armies? Yeah. And, and surprisingly, it lasts thirty months. Right, but like so, so. Obviously, it's a, you know, that's a pretty big thing that's happening. Right. We have this foreign but army. But it's one of those things that at the time, you didn't realize. That's the point they're trying to make. At the time, you didn't realize it. Now, as for the significance of Asura Bateves, it is one of the most unusual fasts. And it is unusual in the sense that the Mepharshim tell us that, unlike any other fast, or maybe Yom Kippur, if Asura Bateves falls on a Shabbos. It's not deferred to Sunday like other fasts. It's not advanced to Friday. You celebrate it on Shabbos, or you observe it, rather, is the word, on Shabbos. Um, again, unlike any other fast, why? What's the reason? First of all, Yermiyahu describes it in Yermiyahu, Be'etzem hayom hahu. In that day, he describes it by day. Most other Tanis's fasts are described Tanis Hashri, the Tanis of the seventh month. Tanis Hachamishi is the fifth month. They are not pinpointed to the day. And Asara Bateves uh, takes on a very special significance, uh, as we're going to see. The only thing Chazal say that's significant or comparable to that is the Tanis that falls after you've had a terrible dream. The Torah provides that if someone, Chazal, if you've had a bad dream and you want to fast, you've got to avert what could be terrible consequences, you fast at the next day, Shabbos, you fast on Shabbos. And the commonality there is that both look to the future, that with Asara Bateves, you look ahead as to what is going to happen from there, because at the time you didn't know, as well as with a, a dream, you don't know what the future holds. But in any case, far from being insignificant, Asara Bateves is one of the most significant tanis on the calendar. So we see that that's where it is observed. That is where we get it from. So the siege is in effect. The city is put under siege until the 12th year of the reign of Tzikiyo, so that it's a difference of two years and six months. Batisha Lachodesh, in the ninth um, day of the month, the, the, until the ninth month, uh, there is no more bread. They are out. What's the reason this went on for 30 months? Uh, we've described it as inevitable that it was going to be destroyed. Why drag this out? Some say that, believe it or not, there was hope that the Kaddish Baruch had hoped that some tshuva, that there would be tshuva that would be done that could avert this. But as we see, it's a minority opinion because the truth is, as, as you know and the others say, this was inevitable. But Tibakah ear, 
Bechol anshei ha-milchama, halayla derech shar bein ha-mosne. At that night, the city is split. The warriors now try to make their escape between the walls. There's an outer wall and an inner wall. Asher al-dan ha-melech, near the garden of the king. The kazdim al-o'ir, kazdim are Chaldeans. Chaldeans read as being synonymous with Babylonians. So if they surround, vayelech derech ha And they go by the way of the plain. What does that mean? It's fascinating. Both Rashi and Radak say... Uh, let me read Rashi. Ma'ara, there was a cave. Holeches Mubeso, that goes from the house of Sikiyahu underneath Ad Aravos Yericho, until the very plains, the very city of Yericho. Ubarach lo Ma'ara, and Sikiyahu takes that path, and it's virtually undetectable, and yet, Vakadosh Baruch Hu Zimein Tzvi, Vakadosh Baruch Hu puts a deer, and the deer follows on the roof of that cave. So the Babylonians notice this deer going along the top of the cave. And so when he comes out, they follow the deer. When he comes to the exit of the cave, they are there ready to grab him. So you see, again, the degree of inevitability and how the Kaddish Baruch Hu is doing everything to assist them. The fact that he, he would send a, a deer that would track Tzikiyo's escape in an undetectable cave and alert the enemy that they are there waiting for him. So Can in I any... Of, question? Is, are the days, you may have just said this, but are the days wrong? Isn't it Excellent question. Um, it is some say it was the ninth, but we observe it the seventeenth. Why do we observe it the seventeenth? Because that is the day as well as the second base Hamikdash. And we hold Chazal, they didn't want to make the Jews fast on the ninth and the 17th, and the 17th has more chashivas, because we know the 17th of Tammuz has tremendous historical disasters in it. It was the day that Moshe broke the Luchos. It was the day that they burnt up Potomus, burns the Sefer Torah and the Beis HaMikdash. It's the day they desecrated the Beis HaMikdash, Menashe, and put altars. So the 17th day was designated after the second base uh, mikdash, as the day, official day of mourning of the breach. So it was the ninth. They did not want to impose too fast in such a short time on B'nai Israel. So we observe the 17th. Um, and so they They take him to Nebuchadnezzar, Rivlosa, to Rivlosa where Nebuchadnezzar has set up his headquarters, Vayidabru Ito Mishpat. And they seek to make some sort of a trial that is held there. Let's discuss that. First of all, question. He's besieging Yerushalayim, Nebuchadnezzar. What is he doing in Rivlosa? Rivlosa is held to be um, uh, the town of Antioch, which is not in Israel, but it's located in Turkey. 
Why is he in Turkey when his army is surrounding Yerushalayim? Some say that because of the protracted effort that he never anticipated it would take over two years, he withdraws and sets up his government, a provisional government in Rivlasa. Two, the Gemara says he was haunted, Nebuchadnezzar, he was obsessed about Sancheriv, how Sancheriv, as you will recall, was encamped outside the walls of Yerushalayim. The siege was about to be broken, and he discovers his entire army is wiped out during the night in a strange death, no wounds, no armor, just they die, they expire. And he wants to avoid that. The Medrash says they was in the very capable hands, as we're going to see, of his brutal general, Nebuchadnezzar, and that his picture was emblazoned on every chariot the Babylonians had, so they would never forget that it's Nebuchadnezzar. But he himself is in uh, that town uh, there, Rivlasa, and they bring him to trial. What kind of trial you need here the Mepharshim? A very strange Medrash, and you would think, well, what the Medrash says is that at one point, and this explains the tremendous hostility Nebuchadnezzar had for Tzidkiyahu. Apparently, Tzidkiyahu once came in to Nebuchadnezzar's rooms or palace or dining room and discovered, I'm not making this up, discovered Nebuchadnezzar eating a live rabbit, raw, live rabbit. And even I suppose among pagans, this is over the top. Nebuchadnezzar adjures him, makes him take a shvua that he will never reveal to anyone that he saw Nebuchadnezzar do this. Sikiyahu does it. He takes the oath. Nebuchadnezzar, somehow Sikiyahu breaks the oath under certain pressure. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar finds out because he now becomes the subject of great humiliation and gossip and is very conscious of it and furious at it. What he holds there in Rama is a trial, a trial before the Sanhedrin of Tzidkiyahu, believe it or not, accusing him of violating the oath. The Sanhedrin comes to Tzidkiyahu's defense saying that there is such a thing as hafaras nadarim, where you can uh, annul an oath, and he did it to Kiyol before the Sanhedrin. Nebuchadnezzar shows an amazing knowledge of Hilchos nadarim and comes back with, well, can you do that? You can't do that if the person who adjured him to make the oath doesn't consent to it. And they say, yes, that's true. They realize Nebuchadnezzar has them. The Medrash says they fall to the ground in tears. They see the inevitable, that they are at their own. So their trial is held, and now the punishment to Tzitkiyo is, in a word, barbaric. They kill Tzitkiyo's children in front of him. Then, before that, what they did, the measure says, is Sikyo begs that kill him first so he does not have to witness his children dying. The children similarly kill them so they don't have to witness their father. The Bukhadnezar okays the children's request um, 
rather Tzitkiyo, and, and kills, I'm sorry, kills the children, leaving Tzitkiyo. But now, they're saying, He blinds Tzitkiyo in the most brutal, cruel, barbaric way. They take him in copper chains, Vayaveu Bavel Sikio is exiled in Bavel. Ubachodesh Hachamishi, Bishivat Lachodesh, he Shnatesha Esrei Shana Lamelech Nevuchadnezer in the 19th year of his reign, Melech Bavel, Ba Nevuzardan, Nevuzardan comes, Rav Hatabachim, Rav Hatabachim here means an executioner, a butcher. And we're going to see the man is capable of such unimaginable cruelty, uh, a bloodlust, it's a sick kind of bloodlust, as we're going to see. Let me, let me ask you a question about the Sanhedrin. Would, would, uh, that, would that be really just a way of humiliating or almost like a show trial where you say, all right, to the Sanhedrin, you're going to do this because you're going to find him in violation of his oath. Right, but... Right, but not, it wasn't a real... They weren't free to rule any way they want. Well, we don't know, but we, they could say there is such a thing as Haparas and Durham, which there is. But he brings in that clause, you can't do it without the presence of the guy. Then he's right. They're wrong. And then, now they see, you know, again, it's inevitable. So now Nebuzardan, Rab Tabachim, literally the executioner comes, Melech, Bavel, Yerushalayim. We are ready now to close the loop, etc. And we're going to see there is no one more qualified as the executioner than this Nebuzardan, but with a remarkable twist that the Gemara gives us as to the end of his career. 8.45 a.m. tomorrow, Adkan.